Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat where you are. We'll do a couple things as we get going this morning. First and foremost, I just want to pause. I want to recognize what day it is, what's going on in our midst, uh, September 11th, right here and now today. Uh, we're remembering a tragedy that happened here in our nation but 21 years ago. And so I just feel it's appropriate for us to just stop for a minute, to take a breath together, to thank God together, and to be glad for the freedom we have to just come and to worship so freely like this. Uh, secondly, as we're thinking on that, I just want to acknowledge our first responders, LEO, people like that, that make this church their home. We love you. We're grateful for the way that you guys do such dangerous work so often. And I just want to say that's a big deal to us. And we're happy to have you calling this church your home. So that being the case, uh, I also want to tell you guys something special that's happening today. And this might be a part of the momentum narrative that you aren't familiar with or you haven't, you haven't um, experience yet. Uh, my name's Matt and I'm the lead pastor here, by the way. So I'm just going to tell some stories as we get going. And we got a brand new series today and it's like Christmas morning for me and I can't wait. But I got to like, I got to stop and let you guys know something special about this place. So we meet in a gym. Okay. It's a big, bright gym. There's no fog machines. There's no laser shooting around here. I mean, I'm not even against fog and lasers, but that is like a million miles away from where we are as a church. And so some of you even were here last week when, surprise, the AC is not working in here. And then we crammed everybody in that tiny little room over there. And now we're back and we work with the city and the city. I'm grateful for them. They're just great. But we do this for a reason. We do this so we have more recess resources, less overhead. We do it so we have more money to give away to two specific things. Number one, people in need, people who are hurting, broken, the children of Vista Square. We were able to stop what we were doing and give a bundle of money away just recently during our cash for class thing to that family. You guys know that. The other, yeah, that was cool. Okay, hang on. Wait, you think that's cool, check this out. We also, if it's not helping other people, it's planting other churches. And so as a church community, we have started five other churches, including Slow City Church in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's their third birthday today, okay? And so um, they, they, all of their stuff looks super cool. So I rob their graphic designs, but I'm a better preacher than my friend Brent over there. So he takes my sermons. And I just want to say to Brent and Jenna, we love you guys. We're grateful for you. And what you're doing up there is truly inspiring. And so uh, I want to say to you guys as your pastor, this is what we, this makes me so proud that we've decided to be a church that's not just about one single castle, but the entire kingdom of God and that matters. Now you can clap and go, yes, that's cool. That is cool. So today we're starting a brand new series. Hang on. What's sorry. Last one. What's up YouTube. You guys set a record for most likes on YouTube videos last week. That was cool. It wasn't just me and my mom watching the video. What's up outdoor venue. We love you guys. We see you. We're glad we're here. And that is all the introductory comments for this morning. We are in the book of Acts masterclass. And so we are starting a brand new journey today. And I say journey because we are going to start working through the book of Acts in our Bibles, chapter by chapter, 
verse by verse, shredding this thing to pieces and soaking up all the meaning in this big, powerful book of the Bible. Now, if you're new to church and you're like opening up your U version right now, I'd love for you to do that, by the way. But you're like, holy cow, that's 28 chapters, Matt. Like, or, or you're here and you know about the book of Acts and you're like, are we really going to like go through that? And you're like, yes, the answer is yes. But if you're like, but wait a second, when are you going to teach like how to survive your 20s or fix your broken marriage or make this part of my life better. Here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to tackle the book of Acts in chunks. So we'll go like seven weeks in and then we'll take a break and talk about life stuff and then we'll go another seven week chunk. So like, for example, we're going to do a run of about seven weeks in the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, tearing that thing to pieces. And then when the holidays roll around, we'll talk about our big Christmas give and how we can make some more lives better and brighter in Jesus' name by giving away money. And then we'll do some Jesus stuff because Christmas and Jesus, you just got to have a Jesus series at Christmas. Then the new year will get here. We'll do pray first because we always start our new year in prayer and then we'll get back into the book of Acts. So you're going to see us do Acts. It's like our home base. We'll go into it. We'll stop it from time to time talking about life issues. And then we'll go right back to Acts starting today. And so I got the privilege of studying this book this week from a 30,000 foot view, looking over it cover to cover. What's God up to? What does God want to teach in this book? And when I read the pages of scripture, I could not help but ask the question, what was it like? What was it like? What was it like for the disciples to spend three years with Jesus? And for three years, he's there, he's guiding them, he's with them, he's shaping them, he's fighting for them. If there's a problem, he takes care of it. And then all of a sudden, one day in an upper room, he said, guys, my life is going to be taken from me tomorrow and I'm going to be gone. But don't worry, there's a Holy Spirit coming and he's going to be with you forever and he'll have everything you need. What was it like for them to get their heads around that? What was it like later when that Holy Spirit showed up and now instead of a relationship with Jesus, the first believers are learning to follow the Spirit of Jesus as it lives inside of them. What was it like when Peter got up? Peter, the one who ran and hid from the little girl by the fire when the rooster crowed three times and denied Jesus. What was it like when that Holy Spirit falls on Peter? He stands in front of the same 3,000 people who chanted, crucify him, crucify him, had Jesus killed, and with boldness he stands in front of them and says this Jesus who you killed is now Lord of the entire universe and we are here to serve him and to everyone's surprise those 3,000 bent a knee declared that Jesus was their Lord and they would now follow him what was it like to take this group of 3,000 people in Jerusalem and to form a church when there were no churches when there was no like, well, let's steal the graphic design from Slow City and the sermons from Momentum. And there was nothing. And they had to figure it out as they went. And they had to answer questions like, what's the purpose of the church? And how much of the old law do we follow? And how much of it is, is now grace through Christ? And what do you do when you're a new church and you only have so much to offer and there's so much need in the world around you? And do we focus on helping people in need or just telling them about Jesus? Or maybe they'll be more receptive to Jesus if we can meet their physical needs. And there's these widows and 
and Jesus said, you're going to care for people and love them like I've loved you. And how do we love these people and make sure everybody in this church family is loved and known and cared for? What was it like to learn how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in tangible ways, not in some frou-frou, rah-rah, ethereal space, but like my life here today is stronger and more rooted and I have more courage and boldness and self-control and love for people because of the way the Spirit of Jesus is loving people through me. What was it like when people had to choose between loving God and doing what He wants them to do or staying where they were comfortable? And where did they find the courage to do these big, scary things? Where do we find that courage today? How do you walk faithfully in a world that is trying to stomp the name of Jesus out? What do you do in a world that is opposed to Christ and you're trying to reach for what you know is right and true and good and lovely, but at the same time, the entire flow of culture is pushing you in the opposite direction? What was it like? We are going to answer all of those questions in this verse-by-verse, step-by-step, moment-by-moment study of the book of Acts, starting right now. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It's the very first thing. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Uh-oh, reminder, anybody remember Investigating Jesus, that series Investigating Jesus? And I kept showing you this map, and I told you about the map. If you pull up the map, I just map quested how far, it, how long it would take you to walk from uh, Israel, where Jesus was, all the way back to Rome, where Dr. Luke was. And Luke wrote this book called Luke, and we studied it for weeks in that series, Investigating Jesus. And it would take 563 hours. But here's what happened in Jesus' time. He starts loving people. He starts healing people. And he starts transforming the world. Word spread during Jesus' life so much so that it got all the way back to Rome. And there was this doctor named Luke, and Luke decided to leave his medical practice behind, and he decides to bankroll his own trip to Jerusalem, where he talks to people who saw Jesus. And, and he was a doctor, so we went to men who said, I used to have leprosy, but Jesus touched me, and then I was healed. And he talked to Jesus' own mother about what it was like to see her son crucified, and he talked to the disciples, and he becomes a Jesus follower. He looks into it so much so that he becomes invested in the Jesus story. He eventually declares Jesus to be the Lord of his life, and that was the book of Luke. Well, here's what happened. We're going to watch in the book of Luke. He says, they did this, and they did that, and then they went here, and they went there. And we read the book of Acts, and we're going to see all of a sudden the they's become we's. Instead of they went and did blank, it'll start to say we went and did blank. Why? Because Dr. Luke caught up to the narrative about who Jesus was and his movement and his church. And he says, I want to be doing what you guys are doing. 
I can't let you do this without me. I want to be a part of the story. He joins them. And so these opening words, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the book of Luke. In this present book, volume two, is the book of Acts. And Luke now records what happens in the movement of the gospel, not through eyewitnesses, but because he has joined them himself. And as we read the book of Acts, I got like three maps today. I know you guys woke up early. You got dressed. You look good. And I bet you're like, man, I hope the pastor shows us a bunch of maps this morning. This is what I need. But I got another map. This is a map of the expansion of the gospel and where Paul and Peter and Luke and John Mark and all of them took the name and fame of Jesus. And so the key numbers I'll tell you from the jump are 10,030. This map covers 30 years. The book of Acts covers 30 years of history and 10,000 miles of gospel expansion. See, Matthew, this is like, come on, this is masterclass, okay? So we're going to understand this, and I'm going to give you tools so you don't just hear me talk about it when you go home and you read your Bible, you're more intelligent and you know what you're dealing with. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading about what Jesus did do with his life, death, and resurrection. When you get to the book of Acts, we are learning about what Jesus continued to do through the power of his Holy Spirit and the church. Here's why the book of Acts matters. To understand the book of Acts is to understand your entire New Testament. If we go to the book of Acts, we're going to learn about all these different cities like Philippi, Ephesus, Crete, Galatia, Thessalonica, and Corinth. Do those sound a little bit familiar? The Corinthians was a letter that Paul wrote when he left the Corinth and left a church there. See, they went to all these different places and planted churches that planted churches that expanded the gospel. That's why we plant churches. And and he would go to Philippi and Ephesus and Crete. And these are the different places. When you read through your scripture, these are the letters that Paul would write to these. And so when we understand Luke and we understand Acts, we're not only just understanding the book of Acts, we're bringing light and life. Come on. Who doesn't love the origin story? When they tell you Peter Parker became a spider because he got bit by a radioactive spider, you're going to learn who Timothy is and how he ended up pastoring a church as a 19-year-old and who Titus was and how he got stuck on the island of Crete and why were they at Crete in the first place and what were they up to there? We're going to learn the stories behind all of these letters and it'll make the entirety of Scripture come to life. Um, We're going to talk about why the book of Acts happened. Why the book of Acts? Why gospel expansion? Why churches? Why places? Why God growing his kingdom? And we're going to discover the answer is for you. That he did this for you. That for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life here and now. The light and life of Jesus shining in your life and forever through eternity in heaven with him one day. But God loved you too much to let the news of his son and his light and life and goodness just stay stuck at one place in time and one place in history. So God steps back into the story through the Holy Spirit and he spreads 
the news of the gospel all over the globe. And, and it goes from there into Asia and it goes down into Africa. Yes, Africa is in there. There's a whole lot of African history in the Bible. We're going to go there and I can't wait. It goes up into Europe and into Spain and through Rome and there eventually across the seas to the Americas. Can I tell you something? If you are here today and you know Jesus, you are directly connected to the people in this book. You are here because of them, not just because of them, but because God loved you so much. Yes, you, just how you are. He refused to keep the truth and the goodness of Jesus to himself. That's why we're going to study the book of Acts. But the most important thing, the question we're going to sit down on today in our study is how did the book of Acts happen? How did it happen? And our answer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually going to be the main character of the book of Acts. And I just want to say from the jump, um, there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit in churches, right? Like you, you get some people who totally miss the Holy Spirit because they try and organize him and pack him down into this little set of principles that they can manage and pull out of a box when they want. And that doesn't make sense because Jesus said if the Spirit's like anything, it's like the wind and he goes wherever he wants and whenever he wants. But then there's other people who kind of miss it too because they hand you a tambourine when they walk into church and it's like, how come I'm not? They associate the movement of the Spirit with things like being loud in dark rooms with music. And I don't ever see the Holy Spirit show up in dark rooms with loud music in the scriptures. And so we together are going to come to understand who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives and what we're up to and what we're doing as we study the book starting now. Let's go back to chapter one, verse one. In my former book, The Office, look at that. We made it four words in and that's like 15 minutes. This is good. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the ding, 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 the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. I'll say it once and I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. So if you're like, what is he saying? Is he saying Acts? Like Acts? Like, is it Acts? Like you chop a tree? Is it Act 1, Act 2, Act 3? Is it like you grew up on the streets and you're like, can I ask you a question? Like, which is he saying here? Well, here's what it is. It is the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the Holy Spirit. If you have a paper Bible and you don't mind writing in it, you could literally write Acts and it might say of the apostles. Ask 99 out of 100 scholars and they'll say it's not the Acts of the apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit who is moving through the apostles. You could literally write it in and God won't hold that against you. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It continues in verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them. So Jesus has resurrected. He presents himself to the apostles and he shows up giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In your notes, if you're doing master class and you got the journal, we have free journals out there, by the way. They are so you can take notes on the Bible as we study it together. But here'd be a great note. Write 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, or 1 Cor 15, 3 through 7. That, that's where we get an account of what Jesus was up to those 40 days after his resurrection and before he ascended back into heaven. And then it, it says this as we continue reading. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, the apostles, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem 
but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with, there he is again, the Holy Spirit. Time out for application break. Isn't it interesting that these disciples of Jesus, they've walked with Jesus, they've been with Jesus, they hung out with Jesus, they spent time with Jesus. Jesus has empowered them to do miracles themselves in times past. They had a front row seat to every Jesus teaching ever. They sat there and they heard Jesus. And when Jesus is leaving, he says, hey, by the way, don't go do anything. I need you to wait. Wait for what? Wait till the Holy Spirit falls on you because you don't stand a chance without him. If we were being good students, it would lead us to ask the question, are we trying to do our faith ourselves or are we doing it through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I'm no genius, but I'm smart enough to look at this text and go, if guys like Peter, Andrew, James, and John did not stand a chance without the Holy Spirit, then I don't either. Parents, listen to me. I've had this conversation a thousand times in student ministry. I've seen a kid who wants to get baptized and they go, hey, I really want to give my life to Christ. I want to get baptized and I want to follow him. And I said, well, go tell your parents. And they go, here's what happens. They go, I did tell my parents. And they're like, they don't want me to get baptized. And I go, they don't want you to get baptized. Like, no, they said, I'm not ready. Would you talk to my parents? And I said, sure, no problem. I'll talk to your parents. And I say, Hey, I was talking to Regina and she said she wants to get baptized, but you don't think she should get baptized. And then mom's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why? And she goes, well, Regina is a terror. Like never cleans a room, staying out late. You should hear her language when she's not with you, pastor, because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't even let her in her church if you heard the way she was talking. She is a mess. And I say, Mom, I love you. I respect you. But how do you expect Regina to be everything Jesus has made her to be without baptism? Because we believe baptism is the moment that the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the believer. How's Regina stand a chance without the empowering personal presence of God changing her from the inside out? Jesus says to the disciples, you guys, do not go anywhere or trying to attempt anything in your own power or you are doomed to failure. The disciples, clearly not possessing the Holy Spirit, say, uh, Lord, uh, verse 6, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Which is like them saying, hey, where we land on being really known and popular because you rose from the dead? Are we still doing that or is there like something else we're doing? And Jesus is like, good gracious. He says to him, it's not for you to know the dates or the times the Father is set by his own authority. But gentlemen, ladies, here's what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Have I mentioned that the Holy Spirit is the main character 
in the book of Acts. Now, here's the cool thing. Uh, if we were doing summary of the book of Acts, we would go, okay, write that down. Let's keep moving. If we were doing, hey, flyby of the book of Acts, I'd be like, hey, think on that this week and God bless you. But we're doing the book of Acts masterclass and we're going to shred into this thing and tear it to pieces. So therefore, just like if I was studying the Bible with you and you with me, if we were just doing Bible study, I would say, hey, wait a second. We, we missed something in verse four. And you'd be like, what did we miss in verse four? And I'd be like, no, take a look at what he said in chapter Chapter four or chapter one, verses four and five. It says, on one occasion, while I was eating with him, he gave them this command: Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And if, if we were doing Bible study, me and you and you and me, I would say, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, hang on, can you think of a time when Jesus is referencing to here? And you go, Ah, geez, was it? It wasn't. It wasn't the Great Commission. That was like the All right, go and make disciples. It wasn't love your neighbor as yourself. You would go. Oh, wait, 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 I got it. Oh, it's, it's the upper room. It's the night before Jesus was killed. The subject du jour. Okay, Jesus has hours left with the disciples, hours to teach them and to train them and to love them one last time before he would wake up the next morning and be killed. What does he spend his time talking about? That's right. We would stop our Bible study and we'd say, hey, Jesus just said, which you have heard me speak about. Let's go remember what he spoke about when he was in the upper room. And we would turn our Bibles to John 14, 15, and 16. We would go to John 14, 15, and 16. If you're following along or you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up, go to John 14. What did Jesus say? We can't understand the book of Acts without coming to know the Holy Spirit. We can't understand the Holy Spirit without beginning in John chapter 14. Jesus, upper room, the disciples, there's panic. Judas has already left to go and betray Jesus and the disciples are nervous. There's this uneasy presence in the room and they're asking him, Jesus, how do we do this? And what are we gonna do next? And Jesus just kind of hushes the crowd and he says, you guys, you guys, you guys, if you love me, John 14, verse 15, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I love this language, another advocate, because the boys are nervous this night. Oh, they were dull. They, they, they were slow learners, but they were starting to understand that Jesus was going to go. He was going to be killed and things were going to get ugly and they're nervous and they're asking questions. And he goes, I'm going to give you another advocate, meaning, okay, who's the first advocate? Jesus. And he said, hey, don't worry. There's another advocate coming. The spirit of truth. Lesson number one about the Holy Spirit is simply this. What Jesus was to his first followers, the Holy Spirit is to us today. When Jesus was walking with the disciples and he would stop them in the temple as the widow put the little offering in the bucket and everybody's giving with all this pomp and circumstance for attention and there's this widow and she drops a coin in and it's all she had and Jesus says, you guys, you guys, look at this. Look at that. That's what pleases the heart of God. All those little nudges and reminders. The Holy Spirit wants to give you nudges and reminders and show you what excites the heart of God. There were times when Jesus would teach and he'd say, you guys, I know this world is full of trouble. I know there's so much to worry about. I know you've got finances to care for and a whole host of other problems. But, but remember the flowers. He's made them beautiful. 
How much more is your heavenly Father going to look out for you that the Spirit, He's going to come and He's going to be the one opening your eyes to the wonder and the truth of the kingdom of God when the Pharisees would descend on Jesus and His disciples and say, how dare you and who do you guys think you are? You're doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus would roll up His sleeves and say, boys, I got this one. And He would fight for them and defend them and stand up for them. What Jesus was for them, He wants to be for you. The Holy Spirit will fight for you and defend you and plead your cause before the Father in ways that you could barely ever ask for or even imagine in your wildest dreams. Since we're on the subject, let's cover this. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. He will be with you the spirit of truth, okay? This is one of those Holy Spirit, like, it came, or we really felt it, or could, could you imagine if I had you over for a barbecue, and, and you heard us talking about what it was like to call, have you over at the barbecue, and we kept calling you it? Yeah, it, it showed up a little late, but it didn't matter because it brought, it brought the best potato salad I've ever had in my life. Oh, yeah, hey, um, hey, uh, it was pretty cool having it there. The no, the Holy Spirit's a person. Not a force, not the force. Jesus isn't like, disciples, you are me. You know, like, it was like, you are the next person of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit person. It is the personal presence of God empowering the soul of the believer. It's a who, not a what. He continues in 14 in that upper room, and Jesus says, all of this I've spoke to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I know so many Christians, and they're like, I've never felt the Holy Spirit. We did... Um, we did a, a whole be with Jesus thing, like how do I read my Bible and spend time with Jesus in the morning. And the number one question I said at the end, I want you to just say, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to impress on my heart today? And listen for two minutes. Number one thing I got after that was like, I didn't hear anything. Like I gave it a shot, but like, I'm still here. Like the, the room didn't shake, you know, like no smoke, can't, no nothing. It was just me and breakfast. And I wanted to get to breakfast. So I stopped. Okay. Okay. And a lot of people would go, I've never had the Holy Spirit do anything in my life. I bet you have and you haven't even realized it. Because it says here, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've come to, or I've said to you. Have you ever had a time when you opened your Bible and you were reading it and all of a sudden you had, aha! Have you ever had a time you did the quiet time and you underlined the verse and you're doing your devotional and you're like, that's really good. And it just stuck with you and you live like four hours of your life and then pow, at work there was a situation and that verse was exactly what you needed to make it through that situation. That was the Holy Spirit. If you ever come to know God in any capacity whatsoever, it is only by the power of his Holy Spirit working in you. Have you ever had a time when you were tempted? Everybody was doing it. To be honest, you wanted to do it. You were there. You were ready to do it. You even decided to do it. And you were about to do it. And then as you were going to open up that door and go somewhere you knew you shouldn't go, all of a sudden something happened. And you closed it. And you're glad you did. That was the Holy Spirit working in your life. It gets even better than that. 
Uh, let's sit down on this word advocate. It's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. If you read in the Greek script, which John was written in, you would come to this, oh my goodness, you would come to this world where I don't care if you guys get nothing out of this. I am enjoying, I am here. Me and the Holy Spirit are in this. Like I, I'm going out of here in a new power and a new strength that I never had before because of the paraclete, right? Like paraclete, if you're reading the Greek script, would be this word and it's almost like a defense attorney or even better yet, this one who comes beside you to bring you what you need when you ain't got it yourself. Oh my gosh. When Jesus says there's an advocate coming, there's a paraclete coming, he's saying the Holy Spirit of God is going to come into your life and bring you the stuff you need that you don't have. I got another map for you. This is good. Okay. So this map, um, one of my best friends from college, his name is Tony Collins, and he's a goofer and steals my sermons also, but I love the guy. He's my, I'm just kidding. He's my best friend from college, and he's one of the churches we planted. Uh, it was number five. And so there's a church called Church 180, and that's Tony, and he's pastoring that church. It's awesome. And, and so anyways, we were best buds in college. And he started dating this girl who lived in my hometown. This is just perfect. Okay, we don't, we got, we're like here, we're hanging. He can hang with his girlfriend. Well, I can hang with mine, we can chill. And so uh, if you've never met Tony's father-in-law, Ron, Ron is one of the greatest human beings on, like such a good human being, it makes you sick, right? Like he was a school teacher and principal his whole life, but like the kind that actually cares. And he'd bring his guitar into classes and have sing-alongs. Like who's ever had a sing-along with their principal? He gave, when Tony married Kelsey, he gave the best father of the bride speech I've ever heard. Like we cried. Like he was like, one time when Kelsey was young, she wrote this letter to Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell, and I have this letter, and Tony, you better love her better than Zach Morris. Like, it was awesome. Okay, so there you go, Ron. Um, so then in his garage, there's this map. I said, hey, Ron, cool map. What is it? He goes, oh, these are all the states where I've run a marathon. I said, what? He's like, yeah. My goal is to run a marathon in all 50 states. And so right here, every time I run a marathon in a state, I put another foot on it. He's done four of them in California. I have done zero. <laughs> so then Ron's wife, Bev, is this sweet lady and a good wife. And she hates running, but Ron's into running. So she runs with Ron. And she too has done marathons in many of these states. And uh, bless her heart, she's not as good of a runner as Ron, but who's as good as Ron? I mean, it's Ron for crying out loud. Here's the kicker. They run their marathons. Ron finishes way before Bev. As he crosses the finish line, instead of going to the little tent with the blanket and the banana and the recovery drink, he turns back around and he walks upstream of the marathon until he finds Bev. And wherever he is, he turns around beside her and helps her finish the race. And he encourages her. And he speaks with her. And he brings to her often what she sometimes does not have herself, 
When Jesus says, I'm giving you a paraclete, he is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life and help you finish the race in ways you never could on your own. When he says, I'm giving you another advocate, and gentlemen, trust me, it's good that I go because this is going to be better. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to bring to you what you don't have yourself so you can be everything that Jesus has made you be. Has anyone had a week lately where they just felt like they didn't have the patience to survive? When Jesus says, I'm giving you another advocate, he's saying that spirit wants to walk in your life and bring to you the patience you need because my child, you cannot do it yourself. Have you ever gone through a season where life feels like you are walking up the side of a mountain? You're just trying to get everybody where they need to be and do what you need to do, but it feels like it's one step up and two steps back and you don't have what it takes. Jesus would tell you, you're right, my child. You do not have what it takes. And that's why I've sent my spirit so you don't have to do it alone. Have you ever needed self-control because there's this habit and the habit is owning you and destroying you and causing you to settle for a life that is so much beneath what you are capable of? Jesus would say, you don't have to reach. You don't have to fight. You just have to call out on the Holy Spirit who I have given you, and He's going to bring to you what you need. Have you ever had a time in your parenting journey where you're like, I'm supposed to parent you, but I want to punch you across the room right now? Have you ever had a time in your marriage where you're like, I'm trying everything, and it just gets worse and worse and worse? Have you ever had a time in your life where you're like, I need purpose. There's got to be more than this. I'm just sitting here. I'm just existing. I don't want to just get by. I want to live for something bigger than myself. For all of those things, Jesus would say yes and amen. That's why I've given you my spirit. He's going to come into your life. He's going to fight for you. He's going to give you what you need and make you more than you could have ever been by yourself. In the church, we call this fruit. In the book of Galatians, he would talk about the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He would talk about these different fruit. When the Holy Spirit, when we surrender our lives and cry out to the Spirit of God for help to transform us from the inside out and we cooperate with His work in our lives, we grow fruit. Fruit like more love for people. Fruit like more boldness. Fruit like the ability to fight for people in need. Fruit like I got up, I went to work, I didn't want to be there, but I had everything I needed the moment I needed it. Fruit like I'm transforming. Fruit like I'm becoming like Jesus. Fruit like I love people. Fruit like I used to desire these things that were destroying me and I don't even have a taste for them anymore. That's what he meant when he said fruit. In Colossians, you could just write Colossians one, uh, 2. It's 2. Paul talks about the Spirit in our lives. And he says, it's this mystery. And through the ages, they only saw the Holy Spirit in traces. The Holy Spirit would come and drop on a person, go back into the sky. Like, drop on David, kill Goliath, Spirit's gone. You know, Elijah does something amazing. Spirit goes away. It's been a mystery through history. But now, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into the life of every believer who had opened their heart up and receive him. And Paul writes in Colossians and says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Like, if you're going to make it, if you're going to get through, if we're going to glorify Christ, if the church is going to beat the evil in the world, if light is going to triumph over darkness, if, if we are going to live lives and follow Jesus in such a way that the gospel does not shrink, but it expands and it pushes back the darkness, Paul says it is Christ in us, His Spirit doing it through us that is the hope for all glory. Which brings up a question. 
How do we get that? Jesus speaks on it in that upper room that night. First verse I ever memorized was John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I read that again? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned, but remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. How do we glorify God with our lives? Well, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love it because I'm a dum-dum. And Jesus says, hey, guys, 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 vine branches. If the branches are going to bear fruit, they have to be attached to the vine. Then he goes, guys, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Remain in me. Keep me in your heart. Be mindful of me. When you walk into the room, say, Jesus, walk in there with me. When you read your Bible in the morning, hey, I need you in this with me. Jesus, I can't do it my own. You remain in him when you open up the word in the morning and you say, I'm not going to do it on me. I'm going to do it through the power of the word of God. We remain in him when we stick with him. And we continue in verse 9 and he says one more thing. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love, you want the Holy Spirit? It begins with obedience. How, how is your obedience, Christian? Have the statutes and the laws and commandments of Jesus Christ become background music in your life? Or would the people who know you most say you are directed by His Word? You want to talk Holy Spirit misconceptions? We're led to believe that it's the dark rooms and the loud music and the incantations and the feeling it and feeling some visceral emotional feeling that brings about the Holy Spirit in our life. But here Jesus says, you want to see Him? Obey me. Obey me when you don't feel like obeying me. Obey me when it's really, really convenient to not obey me. Obey me when they wronged you and your true colors are going to come out and the way you respond to them will show how much my words mean to you. We remain and we obey. But this is the beautiful exchange in the kingdom of God. I lay down my life in obedience to Christ. And in return, His Spirit does more in me than I could ever do myself. I crucify myself daily. But daily I am resurrected by new life in the Spirit of God. And that's what I was made for. And it's what you were made for. So we've got a journey ahead of us, Momentum. A journey where we learn to follow this spirit. 
We learn to be active Christians who are not passively watching a world fall to pieces, but we join the Holy Spirit on mission and fight for what is right in our lives, where we become more together than we could have ever been on our own, where we would be bold enough to open up our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. You can have me. And so I asked Will to finish today with this song, but I, I want the song for us to be a prayer. Would you stand with me really quick? The song itself is not magic. The song itself doesn't guarantee that in a moment everything's going to be different. But the song can be a prayer. The song can be an invitation. The song could be a spiritual moment between you and your Creator. Where maybe for even the first time in your life, you've asked the Holy Spirit to take control of your life and move in you. I want you to join me in this song. Let's pray together first.